Uh, we're back for another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendez, Haley Salvian, and as always, to launch you into another new week. Ahead on this show, our Chicago beat writer Mark Lazarus will stop by and discuss the latest uh, all about the Blackhawks' abuse allegations, his story with Jonathan Taves and his return to the ice last week, and all the trade rumors swirling around Duncan Keith. So Chicago is certainly an interesting uh, uh, place these days, and Mark Lazarus drops by to chat all things Blackhawks uh, with us. The Tampa Lightning have the Montreal Canadiens on the ropes in the Stanley Cup Final, but... The mayor in Tampa is kind of pulling for a lightning loss in Game 4. We'll uh, talk about that and whether or not she's messing with the hockey gods and karma by suggesting that. And as always, we'll wrap up the show with a little multiple-choice madness. But first, Haley, i got to tell you, I think a lot of us woke up today on Monday, uh, the 5th of July, with some very sobering news and some sad news. Uh, Coming from Columbus, or uh, technically from the state of Michigan, but involving the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, where their goaltender, 24-year-old Matisse Kivlenix, has died after suffering what uh, the club says is a head injury in a fall. I know our uh, our Columbus beat reporter Aaron Portsline has been covering this story today, and uh, the police in Michigan, where Kiv Lennox was on the fourth of July, uh, police there have said that essentially there was an incident, Haley, where the Blue Jackets goaltender was fleeing a hot tub. So there's a handful of people. Uh, that were inside a hot tub on the 4th of July. There was some sort of fireworks malfunction that forced that group out of the hot tub. And during that commotion, according to the police there, Haley, uh, Kiv Lennox is said to have slipped and fallen, hit his head on concrete, and, um, you know, unfortunately, tragically passing away from that. An autopsy will be performed later today. But boy, Haley, when you wake up to news like that, it just, it really leaves like a, you know, like the pit in your stomach or the lump in, in your throat. Yeah, especially when you think of how many people were maybe doing something similar on the 4th of July or here in Canada on Canada Day, how many people were um, in a hot tub in their backyard, at the beach, on a dock, at the cottage. You know, it, this is, it's really tragic and it's something that it could have happened to anybody. Um, and it's just... Uh, it's a really difficult thing to wake up to. He's 24 years old. Um, you hear everything that's been coming out this morning from from teammates, um, from the Monsters, from the Blue Jackets. Um, every single thing that I've seen about uh, Matias has been about his smile and about how great of a person he was. You know, people aren't talking about his save percentage, although it was included in some press releases. But, you know, the, the overarching theme here is not, you know, look at this gifted athlete. It was like, this was a great person. He had a wonderful smile and he loved what he did every day. And, um, it's, it's really sad. And, you know, as you go through the news, there's been a lot of statements. There's been a lot of, uh, tweets, a lot of stuff sent out today. Um, the blue jackets, president of hockey operations, John Davidson, um, said Kivy was an outstanding young man who greeted every day and everyone with a smile and the impact he had during his four years with our organization will not be forgotten. Um, general manager Yarmo Kekalainen obviously called the news tragic, shocking, and so very sad. He said life is so precious and can be so fragile. Hug your loved ones today. Rest in peace, Matias. You will be dearly missed. Um, and, and commissioner Gary Bettman, um, made a statement today as well. Again, speaking about his love for life and passion of the game will be deeply missed by everyone who is fortunate enough to have him as a teammate and a friend. 
Um, so a lot of similar language, just talking about how great of a person Matthias was. And it's just a, it's a really sad day. And I think Kekalainen probably said it best, you know, hug your loved ones because something like this just shows you how fragile life can be. It's really sad. Yeah. And, you know, Haley, it's, it's really remarkable. And, and the fragility of life really comes into play here. You know, um, he, he, uh, Kivlenix was the goalie for Latvia, not what, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, when they yeah. pulled off a stunning upset of Team Canada at the, uh, the World Championships, right? It's the first time Latvia had beaten Canada on that stage mm-hmm. in that moment. And, uh, you know, Kivlenix was such a big part of it. And it's just, it's so sad. And like you said, you, you read all those, um, uh, you know, those statements from around the league. I've seen Nick Felino and uh, Nathan Gerby and some others tweeting out. Uh, Gerby had a great, uh, you know, poignant photo uh, being on the ice with his kid with, um, uh, with Kiv Lennox. And it's just, um, you know, it, you know what it really does take me back to. And, and I, and I want to say if it, and I want to say it was during the Stanley Cup final as well. Uh, in, cause I remember being in Pittsburgh, Haley, when the Vancouver Canucks, announced that Luke Bourdon had died in a motorcycle accident. And if it, if it wasn't in the Stanley Cup final, I apologize. It might have been like I was in Pittsburgh and I just know I was covering a deep playoff run. And it was so jarring. And you're just you, – because I think there's always this feeling, especially with young athletes, right? You're, you're in your 20s. There's an, kind of a feeling of invincibility that, that surrounds young athletes. And to see their lives taken away in such a um, – senseless way in such a, um, a tragic way. It is. I, I really do appreciate the Yarmo Kekalainen statement today, Haley, where he says, you don't know essentially what tomorrow will bring. Hug your mm-hmm. loved ones because when athletes can have their lives taken away from them like this, it just it shows you the, the cruelty of life, the unfairness of life, the randomness of life, that sometimes things are just well beyond our control. And it really truly is – a reminder, not that we need one at this particular juncture in the world with with everything that's going on, but the understanding of every day is a gift. It really is. And if you don't take that moment to appreciate when your uh, friends and family and, and, and people around you are happy and healthy, um, it, it can be a real tough lesson on, on a day like this. Yeah. You know, this was, it, it's a, it's a difficult morning, I think, for a lot of people. Again, like I said, um, of course, this is a professional athlete, and um, of course, this is you know a, a very public-facing thing. But again, this is you know a firework malfunction, a fall out of a hot tub. This is something that could happen to anybody, um, and it does happen to people. You know, we see the statistics. You know, these are things that it doesn't matter if you're an athlete, if you're um, young, if you're older, these are things that can happen. So it just, I think it puts everything into perspective. And I think you kind of put it, um, all really well there, Ian, it just kind of, again, it just puts everything into perspective for you. And, um, you know, just my condolences, our condolences go out to his family and everyone that played with him in the Blue Jackets organization. Um, it's a, it's a difficult Monday morning for sure. Yeah, that, that's well said. And I'd like to echo what you just said, Haley. You know, on behalf of all of us here at The Athletic and The Athletic Hockey Show, just our deepest sympathy um, uh, and thoughts going out to uh, the Kivlenix family, the Blue Jackets family, uh, anybody that he's touched in the kind of the, the, the Latvian 
uh, hockey world mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're thinking about uh, the family and we're certainly uh, knowing that uh, when, when Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Final occurs later on Monday, you just know the National Hockey League will take a moment of silence before that game because you can tell uh, from the, the, the words of Commissioner Gary Bettman today, this was sudden, this was tragic. And I think everybody in the hockey world will take a moment on Monday uh, to reflect upon that. And why don't we take a moment, uh, when we come back on the other side, we'll uh, get you all set for Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Final. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. And uh, as we turn our attention to a game for the Stanley Cup final, the Tampa Bay Lightning have an opportunity, Haley, to close out the series tonight with a sweep. Would be the first sweep in the Stanley Cup final since the Red Wings took out Washington in four straight in 1998. So, boy, we've got almost a quarter century between sweeps in the Cup final. Tampa on the doorstep of that tonight. And I think as a result, the Montreal Canadiens making uh, maybe a couple of adjustments tonight. I think it's interesting, Haley. Yes, Perry Kotkaniemi appears to be a healthy scratch. Based on the way they skated on Monday, Kotkaniemi was wearing the gray sweater. Looks like he's out. And Jake Evans going to draw back in. Do you think that any of this could potentially give the Habs a spark? Or is this a little kind of too little too late here? Yeah, I think I can understand people saying it's a little bit a little bit too little too late. Um, but I did see an interesting tweet from Arpen, our, our friend of the show, Arpen Basu, who covers the Canadians for, for the athletic. And he said, you know, people are saying too little too late about these changes. But, you know, do you make changes after game two? That's probably too soon. Um, game two um, was not a bad game by the Montreal Canadiens by any means. You're just playing against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, so they didn't make the change for game three. Then game three obviously didn't go their way. So now this is, you're making the change in a must-win game for game four. Um, I don't know if it's going to work. Um, I don't know what would work to go up against Tampa Bay's um, goaltending, their their top end talent, their their incredible depth that they have. But it is interesting. It looks like Dominic Ducharme said that he wanted to go with a couple of combos, um, or they didn't want to undo their duos of Dino Gallagher and the duo of Caulfield and Suzuki, and they like their fourth line. So the only changes in their mind that they could make are the ones that we're seeing with um, Evans going in. Um, and Cockneyemi coming out. So um, it looks like they're really committed to, again, the Gallagher-Deneau combo, the Caulfield-Suzuki combo, and they like their fourth line. Um, so we'll see if these these moves here work for the Montreal Canadiens, and we'll see if they can push it to, to Game 5. Uh, you know, I th- with all these changes, I thought it was hel- almost hilarious that at one point on the weekend, you saw a sm- – and I'm going to – I'm gonna preface this by saying it was a small percentage of people. But there were some people saying, you know, the Habs should go to Jake Allen. That yeah, I just think Carey Price looks stale. They need to shake it up. And I'm like, wow. Like, what a difference a week makes, right? A How week it ago, turns we were so like, quickly. Yeah. And I think that was, just to me, I thought that was a ridiculous storyline. Like, I understand the thinking of we need to change things up. I, Haley, how could, how could you even suggest putting Jake Allen 
in for Carey Price at this stage of the game? <laughs> yeah, I I think it's because maybe Carey Price has looked human um, and it looks like he's come down to earth in comparison to what he was doing in the first three rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, you know, he hasn't been bad. Um, you've got to get a save, obviously, if you're going to win these games. But I just, I don't know what taking Carey Price out is going to do. Um, it's the Stanley Cup right. finals. There's no need. Why You don't have to arrest a guy in the Stanley Cup finals. This is what, this is what they play for. Um, it's Carey Price. I, it's just funny. We were talking about how he's like going to be one of the best goalies, going to go down as the best goalie ever. Put him on. Mount Rushmore or whatever, talking about how he's a god, and now it's like, take him out. <laughs> how it uh, changes so quickly, but I don't think if I was a coach, I would take Carey Price out of the net. No, it seems like, again, it seemed like a vocal minority that was yelling yeah. that, but I, I think it all comes down to when we look back, at, and we, we need to preface this. Look, the series isn't over. It's 3 nothing. Things Stranger things have happened. But I think when you look back at this series, the one moment in time that's going to be burned in everyone's uh, minds collectively for the rest of time is that Blake Coleman goal at the end of the second period in Game 2. Because, Haley, the Habs were owning that game. It mm -hmm. was rope-a-dope. And yep. it was like... If, if they could have just gotten out of that period, we'll never know what would have happened. But is it fair to say, as we sit here now, that series was lost in game two? Or this uh, the Canadians are in this predicament because of game two? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because, as I was saying before, after game two, like the Habs had a really good game. Their performance was really strong. It just, that goal... And everything that happened after got away from them. But I don't think you can look at the way the Habs played in game two and said, like we were just saying with these changes, um, we need to make massive changes to our lineup because they had such a good performance in game two. So I don't know if it was lost again because they played so well. But I think you can maybe argue that some of the air was sucked out, um, that a lot of the mo momentum, you can argue if it's a thing or not. Some people say momentum doesn't matter. Some people say it's everything. But that goal was, I guess, a spark plug, for lack of a better word, for for Tampa. And again, if if that hadn't have happened, if Blake Coleman hadn't have scored that goal, if the Habs would have won game two, then you're going back home to the Bell Center, with, tied uh, one game apiece um, against the former Stanley Cup champions. So that probably gives you a ton of confidence. It gives everyone up and down the lineup confidence, gives your goalie confidence. So you know, I can see where you're coming from saying, was it lost there um, because of the way that, look, it sounds like I'm being captain obvious here, but the series being tied 1-1 is a lot better than being down 2 <laughs> nothing, yeah. right? So um, I think you can pinpoint that as a, a specific moment. Um, I don't know if I you would say that it was completely lost there, but I get where you're like, I get what, what you're saying with that. Like, I'm convincing myself that it's true. Um, but I don't know. I, I guess I can see that, yeah. You know, I, what I think about, too, with that goal from Coleman, Haley, this guy is going to be an unrestricted free agent in a couple of weeks. Blake mm -hmm. Coleman's 29 years old. And I think if you look back the last two years, uh, there's a lot of people who believe that he was, and in fact, John Cooper said that both Barkley Gujo and um, – Blake Coleman, he said they were the final pieces of the puzzle for us. Like they weren't, mm -hmm. they, they were the final pieces. So it's clear 
Coleman could potentially cash in this summer. He's in in the last year of his deal. He made one point eight million this year. He's twenty nine years old. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of feel like this guy could double that salary on the free agent market, don't you? Because I think he can he can go in and say, "Look, I am the prototypical middle six forward." I've got two Stanley Cup rings potentially in my back pocket. I was the missing piece for Tampa. Like, don't, if you're some team out there that feel, and paging Toronto, um, that feels like you're on the precipice of winning, but you just need that missing element, wouldn't you go, mm-hmm. uh, wouldn't you go big after Blake Coleman this summer? I think, you know, if we all agree that the NHL is a copycat league and you see Tampa Bay have that success with those puzzle pieces, you're probably going to look for pieces that are similar, if not the piece, right? Um, I do think there might be some buyer's room, not buyer's remorse, but, you know, do you really want to go out and spend a lot of money on a guy who's going to turn 30 next season? And I think it needs to be said, like, he's had his success with Tampa Bay. (laughs) Like, that's not just a universal puzzle piece. I mean, the Lightning are a different beast as we're seeing through these playoffs, right? So what works for the Lightning, I don't know if you can just put that piece in in Toronto because Toronto doesn't look like Tampa Bay or Ottawa, et cetera. So I don't know if it's a culture thing, it's a fit thing, it's the way that the lineup goes up and down um, because that line's been really great. Um, him and Barkley Goudreau, they, I think I, I saw Joe Smith had a piece where they called them the the grind line. Um, just like a really, really important piece of what Tampa's doing. Um, so I think a team would be interested in, in what he brings to the table. I just don't know if it's going to be <laughs> this like immediate fix for a team, just like adding one of the pieces that Tampa had. Because, you know, if all these teams were close to being what Tampa Bay would is, wouldn't they be in the final or a little bit closer to where Tampa is right now? Yeah, but you got to remember, like, Tampa was a team that prior to getting Blake Coleman, what was the reputation on the Lightning? They yeah, they couldn't, couldn't get it done. They, yeah. they couldn't get over the hump. And we're all give the Lightning some credit, and Julian Breesball was the general manager uh, at this stage because you take it over for Steve Eiserman, mm-hmm. is they didn't blow it up. No. Like they like when they got swept by Columbus, they could have fired John Cooper. They could have traded one of Stamkos, Hedman, Kucherov, Point, like whoever you want to put in that list. Vasilevsky, they did it. Yeah. They kept it together, but then they went out and tinkered. They're like, We're, we'll give up a first round pick for Blake Coleman and Barkley Gujo. And I think so. That's the value of a guy like Coleman mm-hmm. is that I think yeah. I, I know what you're saying that, okay, the guy went in – it's not like he went to Buffalo and <laughs> turned around the Sabres. Yeah. Like I understand that point. But there's also something to be said that Tampa couldn't get it done until they got him into the picture. And mm-hmm. if you're Toronto, if you're – I don't know who else you I, – I guess Winnipeg goes into that mix. Like who else has been kind of knocking on the door the last few years but never – Colorado. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know what? There's the one too. Yeah. Colorado is a great, great example. Uh, but they thought they addressed that with Nazem Kadri, right? Like that's yeah. kind of what the Avs were trying to do. So uh, I do think that there's some value to it. Like uh, I don't know. Like I uh, do you think it's out of the realm of possibility that Blake Coleman doubles his salary? He's making 1.8. Do you think it's out of the realm he gets to 3.5, or do you think that's a touch high? It's tough because we're in this flat cap right now, right? And we're seeing 
Well, I think we're going to have to get through this period. Um, obviously, see what happens with the Stanley Cup final. We're going to have to get through um, the Seattle expansion draft to really see how much money these teams are working with. Because I think there's a lot of teams who um, are either going to give up assets to get a big contract off the table or just they're going to pray to the hockey gods that somebody with a big contract gets taken by the Kraken. Um, although Seattle, you know, I think part of what is going to make them a good organization is that <laughs> they're going to be smart with their cap and smart with their selections. Um, they've invested so much in their analytics and all their scouting departments that I don't know if they're just going to go and grab everyone's big contracts, but through the trade deadline or not the trade deadline, excuse me, but through trades, um, that are going to be ongoing um, through up until free agency. Like, I, I just don't know how much money some of these teams are working with. Um, but we know that Tampa's <laughs> over the cap right now. Um, yeah. So I don't know if it's realistic to think that Blake Coleman would be back in Tampa, um, considering they are <laughs> the famous, not the famous story, but the big story right now is that they're way over the cap during the Stanley Cup playoffs here. Um I don't know. I, I just don't know if you're a team, do you want to commit almost $4 million to a 30 year old depth forward? Like in the flat yeah, cap era, because like it's different because Zach Hyman has scored more. He's been with the organization longer, but you know, and it's way more money than almost 4 million, but we're seeing the Toronto Maple Leafs, apparently are out on Zach Hyman. According to James Myrtle, it's looking increasingly unlikely that they're not going to be able to afford Zach Hyman because he's going to be around five, six, six point five million dollars. And if we're seeing teams who don't want a guy like Zach Hyman for that price, I don't know. I think you and I, <laughs> I'm overthinking Blake Coleman and you are oversimplifying Blake Coleman, like sign Blake Coleman and you're going to win a Stanley cup. And I'm like, oh, maybe, but I'm like the guy from it's always sunny in Philadelphia, like staring at the board, <laughs> trying to explain what's going on in their head over complicating it. Um, I think the real recipe, if you want to win is Pat Maroon. <laughs> That's good. That's a good point. Three Patrick three Maroon, Corey Perry, Perry's third Stanley cup final in a row. Uh, Perry second. second. Well, it was Dallas, right? Yeah. Dallas last year, so and then uh, this year. Yeah, but uh, but you're right. Patrick Maroon is on the precipice, Haley, mm -hmm. of becoming the first player since uh, those uh, those great Islanders teams of the early '80s to win a Stanley Cup in three straight years. Like nobody has done three straight Stanley Cups as a player uh, since the Islanders. So you're right. Patrick Maroon is uh, absolutely could be one of yeah. those uh, those types of missing players. Uh, look, I saw this argument. On Twitter, and this is maybe a tangent here because I know we were talking about Blake Coleman. I'm all over the place today because I'm still on vacation, Ian. Technically, yes. it's my vacation brain. Um, but I saw this debate on Twitter. It was like, would you rather make $12 million in your career and win three Stanley Cups or make like $25 million and never win? I know. It's what like would you want? I So, okay. So, what you're asking. Okay, let's throw this out there right now. Okay. Basically, what you're asking me is would you rather be Patrick Maroon or Joe Thornton? Right? Like, would you rather be Patrick Maroon or Joe Thornton? Mm -hmm. Patrick Maroon is on the verge of his third straight Stanley Cup. But let's let's agree here. He's a role player, right? Yeah. Like he's a he's a role guy. Mm -hmm. Uh Joe Thornton is headed to the Hall of Fame. 
one of the best centermen of the 21st century, an assist machine, a, a you know, a heart trophy winner, a, a made guy a ton that of money, was, <laughs> made a ton of money. So essentially, I think the way the question is, is would you rather be Patrick Maroon or Joe Thornton? And I think, I think I'd rather be Joe Thornton. And I know that that might not come across and people might say like that's terrible. Uh, I'd rather win. And I get that. But I think there's something to be said for being one of the greatest of all time. For and sure. and it's a team sport. Like I don't I don't hold it on Joe Thornton that he didn't win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Like uh, so anyway, that that's just me. Like I I think I would rather be Joe Thornton, get into the Hall of Fame, kind of, you know, obviously the money is a factor too. I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> I think there's something to be said for being one of the greatest of all time in your generation. Yeah. Rather than being a smaller part of a greater team, but I know that that kind of that probably goes against a lot of thinking in in hockey culture, right? I bet you a lot of listeners would say, "Nah, I'd rather be Patrick Maroon," and I totally get that. I think I'd rather be Thornton. What about you? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I saw some of the responses to I don't even I don't remember where I saw this um, over the weekend, but I think a lot of the responses were like, "If you think that they're saying they want the cups, like you don't know." what these players' motivations are. Like, they're going to go for the money. Um, so it's interesting. I think it's, you know, people are pretty um, split 50-50 from at least some of the responses that I scrolled through. Um, I don't know, you know, because I, I agree with everything you're saying, but, like, look at Jason Spezza taking – he was like, I'll take under league minimum if I could to win a Stanley Cup with the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Um, so he's prioritizing – the low contract for a cup, right. which would be kind of like um, Pat Maroon. Um, even Joe Thornton's on this kind of, I mean, quest for the cup signing in Toronto for a smaller ticket. Um, Jerome McGinley went on the quest for a cup too, like everywhere that he signed to try to win a Stanley Cup. Like, but again, these guys are doing this after they've made their money. <laughs> Exactly. Like and this isn't your. Been, this isn't after your first. This isn't yeah. after your ELC taking, <laughs> like the smallest right. deal possible. You're making millions of dollars, and then at the end of your career, you're saying, "Okay, I'll start to make a little bit less because I'm already a millionaire, so I could win a Stanley Cup." So it's difficult. I think one of the only players who's like on a value deal. I mean, and I don't know. It's not the only players, but. The one that comes front of mind, obviously the Boston Bruins, like a lot of those guys are probably making yeah. under what their actual value would be on the open market for sure. Um, but I mean, Sidney Crosby just always signed for 8.5, which is still a pretty big ticket. But considering what he could have been making, um, I think Crosby taking that kind of contract is him saying, let's keep the band together. Yeah, Boston's done it. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Like for me personally, I think I would probably be Joe Thornton as well. Like, who am I kidding? <laughs> like, yeah. Hockey Hall of Fame, you're a millionaire, you're one of the greatest of all time. You don't have the Stanley Cups, which is probably something like you hear from guys. Like, that's the one thing that they've always wanted. I mean, even for coaches, Daryl Sutter won two cups with the LA Kings and the 2004 Stanley Cup final loss still haunts this man. And he has two cups. So I don't think we can discredit the hunt for winning a championship uh, in the NHL. But if you're asking me, I'm going with the with the money. But I also don't have the yeah. player's mindset. I'm just sitting here. 
Totally. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a really it's a really fun debate. It's a really cool uh, kind of question to toss out because I think you could see both sides uh, of the argument. Now, I got to ask you about this. Usually, Haley, I hate when politicians and mayors jump into to the you know, the, the, the playoff world, right? Like mm-hmm. you get the mayor in one city say like, hey, if we lose, we send you like a ton of smoked meat, like, you know, or, uh, you know, Philadelphia, or if we lose, we'll send you cheesesteaks. You, you know the drill, right? We all get tired of the mayor wearing the other team's jersey and all that stuff. But there's actually something that I think is rather newsworthy involving a mayor. We're going to roll the clip here in a second. I'll set the scene for you. Tampa's mayor, so the mayor in Tampa is a uh, woman named Jane Castor. Have a listen to Jane Castor. I believe this was at a 4th of July media availability talking about things going on in Tampa. And somebody asked the mayor if it would be ideal if the Lightning would lose game four on Monday so they could come back to the Amelie Arena and win the Stanley Cup in front of the home crowd in Tampa later this week. Have a listen. Here's Tampa Mayor Jane Castor. Here's what we would like. What we would like is for the Lightning to take it a little bit easy, to give the Canadians just the smallest break, allow them to win one at home, and then bring it back to the Amelie Arena for the final and the winning of the Stanley Cup. But we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but they are playing some amazing, amazing hockey. Okay, Haley, time for us to weigh in on this. How do we feel about the mayor of Tampa kind of low-key rooting against the Lightning so that they could win the Stanley Cup at home. I I feel like this might anger the hockey gods a little bit. I wouldn't want to be messing with this. Yeah, it's some weird bad juju. Um, Yes. (laughs) Speaking my fantasy football name for any of our TSN 1200 listeners, my fantasy football name was Bad Juju, and we did not make the playoffs, and I gave myself Bad Juju. It was a really poor... Name, poor team. Anyways, <laughs> I'm I'm totally over it. It's fine. Um, but no, I think uh, I mean I think it's funny. Like it's a it's a funny clip. It's fun. It's another fun discussion. Um, you might upset the hockey gods a little bit, um, but I mean, you can just celebrate. If you win tonight, you celebrate in Montreal. Then you fly back to Tampa and you celebrate in Tampa. Like I don't. This isn't. Like it's teams have won on the road before. <laughs> like this is it's a weird thing. I, I get, but I, it's COVID. There's only 3,500 fans. It's not like Tampa fans can fly to Montreal to watch Game Four because um, tickets are going for like eleven thousand dollars, and there's not that many people allowed in, and the borders closed. So I get it, but I just think it's a little bit silly. Like winning a Stanley Cup on the road is not. A crazy thing. <laughs> Just celebrate when they get back. But do you think part of this is because they won the cup last year and again it was in the bubble, but like now you can be a little bit picky, so to speak? Like like you, you've already won a cup. Like imagine the feeling of being so good that you could choose where you want to win the cup. Like that's what the lightning have become. They're like, ah yeah, I guess, I mean I guess we could win in a sweep, but like this this to me is the story is that the Tampa Lightning are so good that their fan there's a portion of their fan base that are like, yeah, I'd rather they win it at home. Like, imagine being that good that you could choose where you want to win the cup. I, I, I do remember one thing, and this not not in defense of the mayor of Tampa, uh, but I do remember one thing that um, 
Wayne Gretzky said years ago, although the Lightning would have uh, experienced it last year, they would have won the cup in the bubble and it would have just been the team. I remember Wayne Gretzky years ago, Haley, saying, you know, the one thing he wishes is that he could have experienced one Stanley Cup win on the road. If I'm not mistaken, all Hmm. four of the Cups that he won with Edmonton were at home. Uh, They beat the Islanders, they beat the Flyers twice, they beat Boston. I believe they clinched all of them at the old Northlands Coliseum. And I think Gretzky's thinking was... The, the the problem, I use air quotes when I say problem, with winning at home is that everybody's on top of you. The fans are on top of you, the friends and family, everybody's there. And mm-hmm. you don't necessarily get to just enjoy it with the 18 skaters, the goalies, the training staff, just, just you. Mm-hmm. And I think Wayne always felt like, I just wish we won one on the road so it would just be us. The Lightning, though, they kind of got that last year, right? Like Tampa yeah. got that last year in the bubble. So I could get why maybe you want to win it in front of a crazy packed house in Tampa. Like I do understand the mentality. I just wouldn't want to put that out there publicly. That's all. Mm-hmm. No, and I totally get it too. It's obviously going to be more fun if you can win at home. Um, maybe they're just getting a little bit greedy um, with the Bucks winning yeah. the Super Bowl at home. And now they're like, let's – win the Stanley Cup at home too and we can just party Good for point. a year. <laughs> so maybe they were like, we had the Super Bowl here the first year Tom Brady. We won that trophy. Now let's win our back-to-back Stanley Cup here at home and just be obnoxious about it. <laughs> and don't forget don't the Rays the Rays got to the World Series too. Um <sighs> you know Tampa. like it's yeah Tampa. That's what <laughs> We've reached that point where Tampa is the new Boston. Like, is anyone? I mean, this is like other than Tampa fans. Like, are people having fun? Watch them win again. It's great hockey, but I'm a bit more of like a. <sighs> but the series kind of has like, been underwhelming. Yeah, right? it's just kind of like okay, they're going to win again. Yeah, I know. It's great. They're all so talented. Look at how great this team is. They have a good coach. The GM built this team. They have lots of depth. They have top end talent. They have a great goalie. Tampa's great. Okay, I had more fun cheering for the Nashville Predators in round one. Yeah, <laughs> my bandwagon. I had maybe I'm just maybe I'm just angry because I picked Florida in the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> we both well, we both did. We both yeah. had Florida going deep. It's just kind of okay. They're really good. We knew this, and they're winning again. Yeah, ho hum. Yeah, yeah. I need more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Haley, time to bring in our uh, weekly guest. And uh, you wouldn't have thought the Chicago Blackhawks would be the uh, maybe the number one team of the news cycle here lately, but that has certainly been the case um, lately with uh, Duncan Keith, Jonathan Taves, and, of course, the ongoing uh, investigation about the, um, the sexual assault allegations. And uh, Mark Lazarus uh, joins us here. And, Laz, first of all, thanks for doing this. And we, we, we say this with all seriousness. Boy, oh, boy, this has been a really big, Busy news cycle for Chicago at a time when you would have thought things would be quiet on uh, on your front. Yeah, I got it. me and Scott Powers were talking like, well, Scott Scott had a baby, uh, a new baby in June, and he was going to disappear for paternity leave, and I was going to lay low and, and and hang out with my kids. And sometimes the news gets in the way, and uh, yeah, this is as busy a summer as uh, I, you know, for better and for worse, mostly for worse that the Blackhawks have had in a long time. Yeah, and you know, and and you mentioned Scott Powers and yourself and Katie Strang, uh, the three of, of you kind of teaming up to 
to write this. So maybe just give our listeners a sense right now, uh, Mark, of where's the late, or what is the latest as we start a new week here in July, as it pertains to the independent review and uh, the story around the alleged uh, sexual assaults that may have occurred uh, within the Blackhawks uh, uh, team facilities back in 2010. Yeah, everything's kind of in a holding pattern now with the Blackhawks announcing the uh, the internal review from uh, Jenner and Block. Um, the league is the league is content with that for now. That that's that's the the proper way to handle this. Uh, the lawsuits are still pending. Obviously, there's one lawsuit from a player that alleges um, Brad Aldrich, a, a video coach back in 2010, sexually assaulted two players. Um, and then there's another lawsuit that the Blackhawks basically. Uh, let Brad Aldrich go take another job, give him quote positive references. Um, we're still trying to find those actual positive references, but they certainly didn't get in the way of him getting a job. And uh, three years later, he uh, was convicted of assaulting a minor while uh, a volunteer coaching for a high school hockey team. So it's it's really serious stuff. It's it's really bad. Um, I mean, it's it's going to take a long time for this to play out. The, the Blackhawks aren't going to end this swiftly in the internal review. We don't know how long that'll take. We don't know how long litigation will take. Um, it's going to drag on for a long time, and it's not a it's not a pleasant story to talk about, to write about, to report on. Um, and it's certainly not what the Blackhawks want to be in the news for. But you know, this is out there, and it's going to be out there for a long time. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Ian and I spoke about last week, Mark, when a lot of this came out, was you know we gave you and Scott, and I mean Katie is. Katie Strang is, is Katie Strang. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she's national and she's investigative. She's enterprise. But you and Scott are beat writers for the Chicago Blackhawks. You have to go through PR. You have to go in the room. You have to see these people on a day-to-day basis. Once things get to normal right now, everything's on Zoom. But can you maybe just contextualize what that is like covering something like this knowing how important it is and how this is bigger than hockey while also knowing that you are a hockey writer like how difficult is that balance well it, it's it's going to be interesting this is this is the month where general managers are forward facing right this is where they they we, we talk to them usually by now i would have had a one on one on the phone with stan bowman um there'd be a zoom call coming up ahead of the expansion draft and the nhl dra- uh, entry draft um, we're not going to hear from Stan Bowman. I, I can't imagine they're going to put Stan. Stan Bowman, for those who haven't been following the story, uh, was reportedly he he was allegedly, I should say, in the room where uh, um, uh, Paul Vincent brought the the allegations to the to the brass with Stan Bowman, Al McIsaac, John McDonough, and um, uh, um, Gary, the uh, skills coach, mental skills coach, um, and. The, the, the allegation is that they just chose not to do anything with it. They chose to sit on that information rather than report it to police. So how do you put Stan Bowman in front of all of us in the media um, and say, okay, let's talk about the expansion draft. It, it's just not going to work. And you're going to have every na- – and since it's a Zoom call, you're going to have every national reporter on that call. You're going to have you know new, news reporters from Chicago on that call because this is bigger than just sports. I, I don't know how the Blackhawks handle that. Mark Kelly, the uh, director of scouting, I'm sure will handle the, dra- the NHL entry draft. Uh, stuff, but I don't know how you handle the expansion. Do you just send out statements from Stan Bowman? These are things that the Hawks PR department are going to have to figure out. Uh, as for me, this one's not. I mean, it, it, it. Look, nobody wants to be reporting on these things. I mean, uh, I, I don't. I honestly don't know how Katie Katie does it. Um, it, it it's it's mentally taxing to report on this stuff. It's unpleasant. You, it, it stays with you at night. The more you hear about it, the more you dig, the more you learn about it. Um, it it, it kind of just sticks in your brain, and it's hard to handle. But the 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 people in question, I, I don't think it's that 
awkward necessarily to report about because this is something that happened 11 years ago and most of the principles are not really, uh, it, you know, they're not in the day-to-day. I think, you know, the summer of 2015 when Patrick Kane was credibly accused of, of sexual assault and that dragged on. That was different. That was the star player of the team and I was writing columns about, you know, whether they should trade him or not and it was like three months of reporting on that and then being in the room and talking to Patrick Kane that day about hockey stuff and other things. Uh, that was... That was a difficult situation. Everyone handled it professionally. I was impressed by how the Blackhawks handled that. Uh, this will be different because, you know, it's it's the front office. It's not players. Like this I, – I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know how the next few weeks are going to play out. I don't know what it will be like if and when we're back in the locker rooms in, in September and October, if this will still be the dominant story, if players will be willing to talk about it. I mean, most of the guys in the Blackhawks are 22 years old. They weren't around in 2010. It's it's Jonathan Taves, it's Patrick Kane, and it's Duncan Keith are the only ones left. And Duncan Keith might not be back next season at this point. So there's not a lot of ties to that team. So as a beat writer, this isn't necessarily – uncomfortable to report on. I think it's all fair game, um, but it's going to affect how the Blackhawks do business, at least front facing for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know, a couple of those names that you mentioned there and Jonathan Taves and Duncan Keith are in the news cycle for other reasons. And let's, let's get into that because you had the exclusive with Jonathan Taves last week, the first time that he uh, was back skating and kind of comfortable speaking uh, to a media member. And uh, maybe you can just walk us through how that interview came to be, how you connected with Jonathan Taves and um, having the opportunity to tell his story after I'm sure what has been a very trying 12 months for uh, for him. Yeah, it had been almost 11 months since we had heard from Taves really publicly. Um, the, uh, the the Vegas series in the bubble last year. In October, I was able to get in touch with him where he was uh, when, when the Blackhawks announced their rebuild. And uh, he gave me some quotes about that and how he was feeling about that. And that story kind of blew up. And that's really the last anyone heard from him until that press release he sent out a little after Christmas, I think it was, saying that, you know, he was dealing with this fatigue and, uh, and kind of these nebulous symptoms that were t- tough to pin down and wasn't going to be on the ice. So and then he obviously didn't play all season. Um, the, the interview came about, I mean, Taves, Taves knew you don't want to have an interview like this uh, on a Zoom call. You don't want to be answering these kind of questions in, in, an, in a sterile setting like that. I think Taves, I've been covering him for nine years now. I think there's a trust level built up there. Um, it was an easy way to do it. He sent out his video where he explained things. And then he kind of allowed me to kind of probe deeper. It was great. I was sitting across from a table from him. You know, neither of us wearing a mask. It was, it was so pleasant to talk to somebody one-on-one in person like that. Uh, made for a much better interview. And you know, he's feeling good. I mean, he had a really difficult year. He, he was, you know, he's, he's basically uh, uh, acknowledged that he's a COVID long hauler, that, he, that, that, or at least that COVID has contributed to it. He, he chalked it up to, you know, 15, 18 years of year round hockey. And obviously the amount of games he played during those cup years and uh, the heavy style with which he plays, he thinks his body was just betraying him. And then COVID kind of pushed him over the edge. Um, but he feels better now. He's not 100%. He thinks he can get to 100%. And he's not making any guarantees, but he is expecting to play this year. And Mark, one of the things that you asked Jonathan Taves in in that great piece, if you haven't read it, it is in The Athletic, um, was the timing of this announcement coming so closely to everything that we already discussed with these um, troubling allegations to come from 2010. Yeah, I mean, and 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 the Blackhawks caught some grief for that, and and I don't I don't blame people for looking at this and going, oh, that's convenient. Here's a good news story uh, in in the middle of all this horrible news, but that's you know when when was going to be a good time? 
If Taves has been back in Chicago for a couple of weeks now, skating mm-hmm. in a public rink, he's one maybe the most famous athlete in the city. He's going to get recognized. People are going to realize, oh, he's back. So then there's going to be start rumors flying. So he got to get out in front of that. He was planning on doing this for a couple of weeks. Um, I, I, if if you do it last week, it looks bad. If you do it next week, it looks bad. If you do it right before training camp, it looks bad. Like I said, the the the, the, the allegations and the lawsuits are not going away. So whenever Taves dropped this news, it was going to look like a PR move. But I, I, I've known Taves long enough to know that he's not going to allow himself to be like a pawn of the PR department and, and do a stunt like that. That's just not his style. Uh, he knew he had to get You know, he at some point he had to announce that he either he was coming back or not. Uh, the, the, the timing was unfortunate. It, the perception was bad. It looked bad. But I don't think that it was uh, certainly not for Taves. It was not some kind of PR stunt where he was trying to do the team a solid. The other name that we brought up is Duncan Keith, who entered the news cycle late last week. And the rumors are uh, maybe he's had it. And I love it when when trades are to like a region, right? It's like he's going to go to the Pacific <laughs> Pacific Northwest. And then Oilers fans are like, hold up. Are we part of the Pacific Northwest? Are we not? So let's, let's talk about Duncan Keith, a, a guy who's going to be, I think, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Certainly at the end of his career, what, 37 years old now, um, just a just a – absolute warrior of a defenseman in his prime was one of the best in the game I mean how much tread does does he have left on the tire and how does this all play out here in the, in the weeks ahead well I think we have to say the Pacific Northwest but not Vancouver can you imagine Duncan Keith in the Vancouver Canucks uniform like the city would just implode on itself like the into a singularity yeah. it would just be a nightmare for everybody involved um Look, Duncan Keith's got plenty of treadle. He, he told me a couple of years ago that he wanted to play till he's 45. He's got that Chris Chelios kind of fitness freak. He's fanatical about his diet, about his his fitness regime, all that stuff. Um, he's not the Duncan Keith of 2015 playoffs anymore. He's not the two-time Norris winning Duncan Keith. But he's, a, he's still got – you know, he's still one of the better skaters on the Blackhawks. He's still a good player. The problem is they're still using him like he's Duncan Keith in 2015. He's playing 24 minutes a night in all situations uh, at 37, 38 years old, and that's where you get into the problem. If it goes to, say, Edmonton and they put him in a second-pairing role where he's playing, say, 18, 19 minutes a night and maybe not having to kill penalties, and then all of a sudden – you know, you get the best that you can get out of Duncan Keith, and there's more to give there. And he gives the Oilers that, like, that, you know, the rings in the room, the cup presence, uh, that veteran leadership that he can bring, whether it's Seattle even, or I'm sure he'd love to go to Edmonton and play with uh, Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreisaitl and all the talent there. Um, there, there's, there's something to be had there. And he's on, he's got two years left on a deal that pays him five and a half million dollars. That sweetheart deal he signed, I think it was 942 years ago. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's a good deal. He's still, he can, he can be a five million dollar defenseman. And if the Blackhawks wind up, you know, making a trade and they keep a quarter of a salary, I mean, that's, that's, that's a steal for any team that's going to get him. There are, Duncan Keith has a couple of good years left in him. Um, it's just the Blackhawks don't use him the way that can maximize him. What do you think Chicago will be looking for in return? Like, what would it cost Edmonton to acquire Duncan Keith? Well, that's the big question, right? I mean, do they have to, you know, are they looking to get prospects and picks for Duncan Keith? Or are they going to have to throw in a sweetener to have someone take Duncan Keith off their hands? We don't Mm -hmm. really know what the dynamics of this trade is. Um, I would think you'd want something for Duncan Keith because he's still one of their more useful, valuable players. But in a flat cap world, clearing five and a half million dollars of space when Seth Jones and Dougie Hamilton are out there, you know, and and Duncan Keith has a full no movement clause and he wants to go to a specific region of the continent. <laughs> like how much leverage do the Blackhawks really have here? 
Uh, Duncan Keith wants to be closer to his son. His son, I think, is eight years old now. They have a great relationship, and it's been tough on him to be away from him, especially last year. Um, you know, he, he, they went through a divorce a couple of years ago, so he doesn't see his son every day. He wants to be closer to his family. I don't think anyone in Chicago is going to begrudge him that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if a trade does happen, um, I, I, I think it would be on good terms. But it is really interesting to see how that will go down. Are the Blackhawks trading someone or is someone taking Duncan Keith off their hands? Depending on who you talk to, you'll get a different answer on that. So it's just a matter of what the Edmonton Oilers think, what the Seattle Kraken think. I mean, the easiest thing to do here, right, would just be to say, hey, Duncan, wave your no movement clause and Seattle will take you in the expansion draft. But uh, I don't think it's going to be that quite that simple. Yeah, certainly. Listen, uh, one of the fascinating stories to watch unfold in this summer with Chicago. It's Keith and Taves and all the other stuff. Uh, Mark Lazarus, really appreciate you taking the time here uh, on this Monday to uh, to chat with us. Uh, we look forward to all your coverage here around the Chicago Blackhawks in the uh, the weeks ahead and uh, enjoy some downtime, hopefully, at, <laughs> uh, at some point uh, this summer. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right, Haley, as always, time for us to wrap up our show with a little multiple choice madness on a Monday. So here we go. A couple of questions. Let's start with this. And again, keeping in mind, as we talked about earlier in the show, this series is not done. And technically speaking, uh, the Tampa Lightning and Montreal Canadiens could get extended to a fifth, sixth or seventh game. But if you're voting right now, who gets your Smythe trophy uh, at this stage of the game? Is it A, Andre Vasilevsky, B, Nikita Kucherov or C, Braden Point, who gets your vote right now, Haley? Well, it's just f- crazy how things change within a week. So I think you asked this question last yeah. Monday, and I said, if the Habs can work their magic, I'm going Carey Price. Uh, and now Carey Price is getting benched for Jake Allen in the minds of some. <laughs> uh, he has declined. You know, there is no question about it. So obviously things are quite a bit different this week, and Tampa's one went away from uh, their second Stanley Cup in a row. Um, I am going to say Nikita Kucherov is my front runner. Um, you know, our, our Dom Luce Chishin does his Conn Smythe watch. Um, you know, he tracks the MVP favorites throughout the cup final. Um, and recently he bumped Kucherov up to the front runner category. Um, you know, just because he's been so strong, his game score is at a 7.4 right now, which is which is quite incredible. Um, the last time I checked um, Dom's tracker, it said Kucherov um, has nine points in this playoffs right now, um, and he's just been incredible. He's been a spark plug for for Tampa, and you know everything that was said about the cheating and the hip injury. I mean, he just came in and he's been lights out from the start of the playoffs. So I've, you know, you just, you wonder what this team would have looked like through these playoffs without Nikita Kucherov. And I, I don't know, because he's just been such an important piece of of what they're doing right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to say him. It's tough because if you had asked me a week ago and we we tackled this, I was like, it's got to be Braden Point, right? Like Braden Point went on a nine game heater, Mm -hmm. like scored a goal in nine straight playoff games. Like that, that's ridiculous. And now the fact that Braden Point is like third on most people's ballots is like, wow, that shows you how deep Tampa is. Yeah. I, let, let me let me put a vote in here for Vasilevsky. And he looked really human. I guess human would be the word for for how, how he played in, in game three. He looked vulnerable, looked beatable. Uh, this guy's given up five goals in three games. He's got a 948 save percentage in the series. 948 in the Stanley Cup final for Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah. And you start to look at all the things that he's been able to do in the course of the playoffs. 
uh, and and outplaying Carey Price in a head-to-head matchup, boy, it's it's hard for me to not take Vasilevsky, but I don't know that you can go wrong with either Kucherov or Vasilevsky or, heck, even Braden Point. But I do think that a recency bias comes into play. I think Point was really good in, in rounds two and three and not so good in the finals. And I think mm-hmm. that that will play a factor into it, whereas it feels like Kucherov and Vasilevsky have elevated their game here against Montreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So on to question number two, Haley, in Multiple Choice Madness uh, on this Monday. Uh, we're getting into offer sheet season. In fact, Pierre Lebrun wrote about Kale McCarr potentially being a target for an RFA offer sheet this summer. So here's question number two, Haley, in Multiple Choice Madness. Which one of these young studs is most likely to be targeted with an offer sheet this summer? Is it A, Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche, B, Brady Kachuk, of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, C, Kirill Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild. D, Elias Pettersson of the Vancouver Canucks. Or E, none of the above. These offer sheets never happen. Haley, I'm going first. I'm going E. And mm-hmm. I know that Pierre Lebrun wrote about Kale McCarr maybe being an offer sheet guy. Ottawa fans are nervous about Kachuk. We've seen the um, the stuff that Mike Russo's had about uh, kind of maybe a a difference of opinion in what Kaprizov's next contract might look like. I get that. But I just think, like, this thing is the boogeyman. Mm -hmm. Offer sheets are the boogeyman. They're there to scare you, but they never actually come out and play. And they never show their (laughs) face. So I'm saying nobody gets offer sheeted this summer, Haley. Forget about it. Makar, Kachuk, Kaprizov, Patterson, Quinn Hughes, whoever else you want to throw on that list. They're all going to re-sign with their original team without being offer sheeted. What about you? Yeah, I think it's, you know, even in the piece about Kale McCarr being an offer sheet, you know, option, LeBron even said like, that's probably not happening. And if he does get offer sheeted, you know, he still has to sign the offer sheet. And then obviously he was like, Colorado's going to match it. (laughs) Like the thing with all these players and what makes them so attractive for teams to offer sheet is how good they are. Um, But how good they are is just exactly why the teams would just match the offer sheet if they have the cap space. Um, Like just think about how much that offer sheet for, Elias Pettersson would need to be for Vancouver not to match it. <laughs> like we did this, I did this exercise in a mailbag on the flames. Cause somebody asked, you know, Vancouver is extremely, they're very, very tight to the cap. They have, um, you know, Pettersson and Hughes to sign this off season. Um, and they've, you know, used a significant amount of their cap for some of their veteran players. Um, so their cap struggles are, are no secret in Vancouver. And so some Flames fans were asking, you know, should the Flames offer sheet Elias Pettersson? And in the exercise, just looking through it, I was like, you know, they would need to offer sheet Pettersson for like $12 million or something for them not to match that. Like Vancouver would have right. to, they would have to make the money work. Um but then, like, I, he's a great player, but are you going to go offer sheet him for $12.5 million just to take him away from the Canucks? Like, because, I don't know, they never happen. And no. when they do happen, like, didn't didn't Carolina thank Montreal for the offer sheet two years on ago Aho. on Ahox? They were like, yeah. that's cheaper than we were going to offer. Thanks. So... I think that experience, too, has probably made some GMs be like, no, we're good. (laughs) 
Yeah, and you know what? And just so so everybody knows the the, the thresholds, so to speak. Yeah. And full credit to Elliot Friedman because he was the one who posted them last week. Yeah. Uh, in his blog, uh, but basically, here are the two numbers that people need to know. So, the biggest number is ten point two seven million. Mm-hmm. Okay. If if a team offered, and let's use Elias Pettersson and, and Calgary, Cal, if Calgary offered Elias Pettersson a contract where the AAV is north of $10.27 million, four first the round Calgary picks. Flames would have to give up four first-round picks. Four yeah. first-round picks. It ain't happening. The yeah. only people I could maybe, you could wrap your head around for that is like a McDavid yeah. or, you, you know what I mean? Like, I, it's it's not for the Elias Pettersons of the world. That's a lower threshold. So let's say that that number is, you know, $8 million, right? Or something. Now you're still... Uh, if the number's $9 million, you still have to give up two first-round picks, a second-round pick, and a third-round pick. So I just – I really truly believe that this thing is like the boogeyman and mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's not going to come out. All right. Final question in multiple choice madness, Haley, before we wrap up this Monday edition of the show. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens get to the Stanley Cup final. Here's my last question for you, Haley. Look ahead into your crystal ball and tell me, who's the next Canadian team? To get to a Stanley Cup final, and your options, of course, are all the usual sp- uh, suspects. Toronto, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Calgary, Montreal, Vancouver, Ottawa, Haley. Which Canadian team gets to a Stanley Cup final next? I don't like this question because I think all of these teams are going to make change. I mean, most of these teams are going to make changes this offseason. So I don't know what iteration of these franchises we're talking about. Um like I put Toronto going all the way this year and they didn't. It's hard to put your money on really anybody. <laughs> Is that bad? Like look at the Leafs next year in the Atlantic. That division's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Montreal too. Ottawa, they're look, give credit where credit's due. That rebuild is is going well, but they're not over the hump yet either. Um, Edmonton is out in the first round again, even though they have Connor McDavid in his prime and Leon Dreisaitl. Um, Calgary didn't make the playoffs this year. But I think Daryl Sutter, having a full camp with Daryl Sutter might help, and depending what changes they make this offseason. Like, is it crazy to say Winnipeg? They just seem the most stable. (laughs) Like, they don't have something where I'm like, no. Like, they don't have a huge deal breaker, I guess, the Jets. Maybe they do. Maybe. I don't know. I don't like this question, Ian. uh, Yeah. But, but, (laughs) I mean, Winnipeg seems like the least crazy one. Like, I feel like if I say Winnipeg, no one's going to hate me, you know? Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a great (laughs) point. Uh, You're right. They're, They're the most stable team. And look, nobody would have, like, Six months ago, hardly anyone would have picked Montreal, right, to be the next Canadian team Mm -hmm. to get to a final. So there's so much that's up in the air. I'm going to say Edmonton, and I'm going to say it because of exactly what you said earlier. I'm not allowed to say Edmonton. Yeah, you're not uh, by by law of covering the Calgary Flames. You can't, just like I can't say Toronto. No. Uh, But I I truly think you got McDavid and Dreisaitl in their prime. Come on. At some point, it's going to click. So I'll take take Edmonton. Mm -hmm. I did have a question for you from our last one, but I didn't want to interrupt you. It's not really multiple choice, but thinking of offer sheets, which GM would you never offer sheet because they're so terrifying? Oh, Lou. (laughs) Lou Lamorello. (laughs) My God, I'd end up with a horse's head in my next to me the, you know, the day after I 
uh, offer sheet somebody from the Islanders. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. What about like when Daryl Sutter was GM? Can you imagine if somebody like tried to offer uh-huh. sheet one of Daryl's players? Like if they offer sheeted one of his like favorites, I know he wasn't GM in LA, but if you offer sheet like Kyle Clifford or something crazy. Oh man. <laughs> also, also Ron Hextall and Brian Burke combined in Pittsburgh. I don't want to mess with those guys. Yeah, no. Right? They're all Berkey untouchable. Probably try to set, <laughs> you set up a barn fight if you do that. All right. Haley, we'll have to leave it there. This was a lot of fun. And once again, I appreciate you working uh, while you're, you got your downtime here. Haley, you're, 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 you're plugging, uh, pushing through and working on your vacation. But I know it's our listeners playoffs. appreciate it. What's more impressive, me coming on the podcast when I broke my pinky toe or me coming on the podcast on vacation? <laughs> Vacation for sure. Oh. Pinky toe, you could suck it up, but the vacation, uh, this is this is huge. All right, so Haley, listen, have a great week. We'll get you again uh, next Monday. And uh, big thanks to everybody for listening to this uh, latest edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. A reminder to uh, follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and a review. We certainly appreciate that. A reminder as well, uh, the Athletic Hockey Show. We're rolling five days a week right through the Stanley Cup playoffs into the draft. And we got that uh, Team USA podcast coming up on Tuesday. It's Custis and Gentilly coming your way. Burnside LeBron, uh, the two-man advantage edition on Wednesday. And a reminder, if you're not a subscriber to us, you can get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.